SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome everybody back to episode two of the Sunbelt Podcast from Underdog Dynasty. We are running into our 2020 season previews, and I am joined as always by Matt Miguez, me being Brian Stone, your host. Matt Miguez, this is kind of your episode here. We are talking about your Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns. God, I'm excited, man. This is going to be fun. Yeah, so just for everyone at home, uh, the way that we are going to handle this is because Matt knows significantly more about the Cajuns than I would as sort of an outsider, I will be sort of, you know, just beating around the bush with some questions and Matt is going to fill you, the listener, and I, the host, in on kind of the ins and outs of Louisiana football dating back to last season all the way through this year upcoming. So, Matt, to start, I guess we can go back and kind of recap you guys' season. Uh, 11-3 last year, uh, started off with a 10-point loss and and pretty impressively to Mississippi State, uh, and then sort of ran through the conference, except, you know, we, we talked about them last week, that Appalachian State buzzsaw, but what were your kind of expectations going into last season and how did the team kind of measure up to those expectations? Well, Brian, I'll tell you this. I certainly didn't expect us to go 11 and three. Um, you know, I, I expected, I expected us to do well, but I mean, well in the Sun Belt is, you know, eight, nine wins. So, you know, to, to see the way that we came out against that Mississippi state team, Honestly, man, we, we should have won that game. You turn the ball over five times, and you still only lose by ten. I mean that that's a game that we should have we should have won in a landslide, in my opinion. Um, but you know, I think the game that really showed us and the country that that we were on the map is the is the game against Ohio when we went up to Athens and basically manhandled them by twenty. Uh, you know, Levi Lewis really showed himself as the leader of this program and the running backs, Trey Regis and Elijah Mitchell played outstanding in that game. Jamarcus Bradley, our top receiver last year had another big game there as well. Uh, so that's the game, you know, that really, really got the train rolling for us. And from there, you know, outside of the, the two games against app state, we didn't lose. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's kind of an interesting comparison because obviously app state was, you guys is essentially their the thorn in you guys aside and kind of prevented you from going, you know, the places that you wanted to go, i.e. the New Orleans Bowl. But, you know, when you look at this this uh, Cajuns team from last year, you know, we kind of talked about last week App State was a real buzzsaw when it came to the conference. You guys were kind of that buzzsaw for the Western side, having only lost, you know, the one conference game in the regular season and then the Sun Belt Championship. So, were you expecting the team to do as well in the West as it did last year? Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you why the West the in the last five years has slowly diminished. Um, you know, up until App State came along, the West was the dominant conference in the Sun Belt. Um, you know, the 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 the, the team that won the West division usually ended up winning the conference. So. In, until App State came along in 20, 2013 or twenty fourteen, um, so you know the only game in the West that I was really worried about, to be completely honest with you, was Arkansas State. 
because we've developed such a rivalry with them over the last couple of years. You know, Blake Anderson used to be our offensive coordinator. So, you know, there's always some some fun animosity there. But, uh, yeah, you know, looking at the schedule for the West Division, that was the only game that really concerned me. Texas State's been weak. Uh, Troy had a weak year last year. And then obviously ULM, you know, they're on they're on the weaker side of the conference also. So, yeah, again, I, I say it again, Arkansas State was really the only game that had me kind of nervous on the schedule. Yeah, and, and you guys ended up, you know, beating Arkansas State pretty handily, a uh, 17-point win at Jonesboro. Uh, I think the win, and it, the win that really impressed me when I saw it uh, was, you know, you kind of talked about Troy was down somewhat last year. I mean, I wouldn't say they were so much down as they were struggling to adapt to a new coach, and they were very, like, inconsistent. You know, like, right. it, it's, it's hard because they weren't, overly a bad team but they weren't able to kind of string together those performances like you you want to see but for you to got for you guys to beat them 53 to 3 in the you know second to last game of the season I was shocked when I saw that final score yeah I didn't see that coming either I I figured I figured we'd get a win but I didn't I didn't think it would be how it was but man they just Troy did an awesome job of keeping the ball in our hands. <laughs> I mean, and, and it's always, it's always easy to win games when you just, you never have to play defense and you just, you know, run the clock out or, or do whatever it is that you, your team does best on offense. Right. I don't, I don't remember how many times they turned the ball over to us, but it, it was, it was a lot. Yeah. So, so, I mean, when the offense is constantly on the field, like you said, it, it's pretty easy. So the the one that uh, kind of took us both by surprise, and, and we touched on this a little bit last week for some reason, because we were talking about App State for the most part, but a one-point win over ULM uh, to end the regular season at home, you know, I understand it's a rivalry game, but how shocked were you kind of by the outcome of that game as well? I saw it coming mm-hmm. because it was actually the second year in a row that the game had gone down to a field goal by ULM at the end. And it was the second year in a row that they missed it. Yeah. Um, so we have a running joke in our fan base down here in Lafayette that ULM's biggest rival is their goalpost. <laughs> because it always comes back to screw them. Yeah, it's it's like shades of what was it Florida State in the early thousands, late nineties when they would just wide right every time was kind of right. the joke or, there. Or, or Alabama in the in the late two <sighs> thousands. Alabama still to this day, you know, can't yeah, get a struggle. It's wild. Um, but anyway, you know, kind of wrapping up the season, we we talked a lot about this last week. Uh, App State ends up edging you guys out by seven points in the Sun Belt Conference title game. You know, kind of take me through going into that game. You guys had already played App once and lost, you know, 17 to 7. Take me kind of through that game. What were your feelings watching that game? And, you know, did you expect there to be a different result from what, you know, what it was in that conference title game? Well, you know, I'll tell you this. I thought it would have been closer in the beginning. Because I'm I'm gonna look it up. I don't I I kind of chose to forget that game, but um, rightfully so. You know, we we started off horribly 
in that game. We just went out flat-footed, and we, we just couldn't seem to get our offense going. And then you ended up at, I want to say at halftime, we were down 24. And then in the second half, we just had this magical comeback. And, you know, the way the way our offense was playing in that game in the second half, if we'd have gotten one more possession, I think it would have been a totally different ball game. Yeah, so at halftime, it was 35-17 app. Um, and then for the rest of the game, you know, app scores 10 more points and you guys put up 21 in the second half. So, I mean, credit where credit's due, that's a heck of a comeback by a team that could have definitely just kind of rolled over at halftime and said, you know what, it's not our day. It's fine. We'll we'll take our lumps and move on to the bowl game. But you guys really did, you know, kind of steal up in the second half there and make a run at it. So, you know, kudos to the, the Cajuns for keeping a game close that probably shouldn't have been considering how the first half played out. But uh, to wrap up this 2019 schedule, uh, you guys went to the Lending Tree Bowl in Mobile and beat Miami of Ohio by 10 points. You know, kind of take me through like what you were thinking going into that game. What were you kind of expecting from a team like Miami of Ohio who you may not see very often? You know, I, I thought they were a solid team. You know, they they played in the MAC championship game. So clearly, if you make it to your conference title game, you're you're no you're no pushover for sure. Um, so you know, I I thought that they would they would go out on that field and give us everything that we could handle. Um, but you know, man, Levi Lewis, I, I I talk about it because at the beginning of the season, I was probably one of his biggest doubters. Um, because. You know, his size, we hadn't seen, we hadn't had much of a sample size from him in his previous two seasons. So I was probably one of his biggest doubters. I was, I was unsure if he could, if he could lead the team the way we needed it to be led. And, you know, every single week he got better and better and better. In that conference championship game that we were just talking about, he threw for, I mean, I know the championship game is only two years old, but I mean, he broke the passing record in the in the championship game. He threw for three hundred and fifty four yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, in a, in a losing effort. Impressive. Yeah, definitely and impressive. He, and then he turns around in the bowl game and went nineteen of twenty six for two hundred forty six yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, um, just kind of recapping his season. I'm taking a look at some of these numbers now. I mean, to Complete 64% of your passes, obviously, you can't be a slouch doing that uh, and and still be throwing the ball as, you know, 378 times like he did last year, but went for over 3,000 yards, 26 touchdowns to four picks. You know, at the end of the season, you know, what were, what were where would he have slotted in as far as, and I know I kind of put you on the spot with this last week with the, the Zach Thomas question, but where at the end of the season did you slot him in as as far as uh, quarterbacks in the in the conference overall go? Dead even with Zach Thomas. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, that I think there's there's an uh, kind of an unspoken thing there with you know he does have some some real dual threat ability. Um, obviously, he only carried the ball you know about seventy times last year, but I was I was you know in the games that I saw uh, Louisiana play, I was always very impressed by the way that he kind of handled himself, you know, through the air and, and on the ground. Yeah. You know, he, a lot of people don't, a lot of people that don't follow the program don't know this. He's the first quarterback in school history to throw for 3000 yards. Yeah. That's wild. 
And again, something a lot of people might not know, we had a quarterback back in the late 90s make it to the NFL in Jake DeLome. Oh, I remember Jake DeLome. Yeah, Jake Jake DeLome grew up in Lafayette, went to UL, and Levi Lewis was the first quarterback in school history to throw for 3,000 yards in a season. I mean, I know that the sport of football has changed overall, and it's become obviously more pass-friendly, you know, at both the NFL and college levels, but that's that's kind of a crazy stat to to hear, especially when Jake DeLome went to the school. Right, and, and Jake DeLome had a excellent career while he was here um you know this was back in the 90s when teams didn't let ego get in the way um in 96 we had the number 24 team in the country in texas a&m come to lafayette and jake delone beat them yeah that's and and for levi lewis to put up better numbers than than delone did i mean that's that's kind of crazy to hear overall um but wrapping up this 2019 season you know, Louisiana wins 11 games, uh, won their second Sunbelt West Division title in a row, and uh, won their first bowl game since 2014. So, I, I mean, going into the offseason, what was the biggest loss to either the draft or graduation in your mind for the Cajuns? Robert Hunt. Um, you know, when you have... Uh... Um, just a manhandling offensive guard like Hunt, you know, in any time you lose him, that's a, that's definitely a loss that you almost can't replace. Uh, But, you know, our fan base was super proud of Robert. He was the second highest Cajun ever drafted um, with a 38th overall selection, signed a $8 million deal with the Dolphins. Uh, So, uh, and if you would if you would know the guy's story, I mean, I could I could talk for an hour about what he went through as a kid, but uh, to to know what he's been through and to see where he's at now, I couldn't be happier for the guy. So I knew Hunt was obviously the the highest drafted uh, Cajun from this past year's draft, and when you have an offensive lineman from uh you know a group of five or uh yeah a group of five school go in the second round it it means that he must be i mean outstanding to well, to crack the second round well we'll keep this in mind he went he went 38th overall while missing the last six games of the season yeah that's i mean that's had, crazy. Had, had he played the full year he'd have been a mid first round pick yeah probably so i mean you got to think like last year i believe it was what Titus Howard uh, went in and he was he was from an HBCU, I want to say. And he yeah. was he was in the early second, late first round, went to the Texans. So that it's definitely there's a precedence for it, especially yeah. when these teams are, are, are reaching for offensive line talent everywhere, trying to get help with their offense. But, you know, before I kind of asked you that question, I thought that you were going to say Jamarcus Bradley. Uh, who led the team in receiving last year with 900 the, yards and 10 touchdowns? The human highlight. Love that kid. Um, and you know, he got he signed an undrafted free agent deal with the Cleveland Browns. Um, and I think he'll he'll crack a roster spot. Uh, just because of his pure playmaking ability. Yeah. You know, in absolutely. Any, like you said, 900 yards and 10 touchdowns. That's just in in the G5. That's insane numbers. Yeah, 
for sure. And the, and the reason that I tell you that that isn't the biggest loss is because we have signed some excellent receivers that are going to fill that void very nicely, but we'll get into that in a few minutes. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, we could go ahead and kind of crack that right now. I think the only thing that kind of mitigates the loss of someone like Bradley is how powerful the running game is for the Cajuns. You know, going back to last season, uh, Elijah Mitchell led the team in rushing uh, with over 1,100 yards, but then, you know, Raymond Calais and Trey Regis you know, right behind him uh, on the team in rushing. And, you know, Chris Smith even showed up and, and ran for 300 yards last season. So I think that when you have a running game like that, it, it does help kind of offset any losses that you may have through the air. As oh, far most, as- most definitely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, talking about Regis and Mitchell, Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese Senior Bowl in Mobile, referred to the two of them as the best running back tandem in the country, not in Tuscaloosa. That's pretty high praise. Nagy thinks that Elijah, if Elijah Mitchell shows up and has a good year this year, he could be either a first or a second round draft pick. I I mean, crazier things have happened and there have been, you know, going back, you know, it's tough because the NFL has kind of devalued the, the, running back position overall so that could hurt his stock a little bit but if he shows up and and just shows out again this year i mean who knows he could be picked in the first round i'm not putting it past him yeah i mean he had any time you have a back get over a thousand yards and i think 16 touchdowns on the year that's just you know again that's numbers that can't be ignored absolutely so coming into this season uh, what are your expectations as far as the offense goes? Do you feel like this team is not going to, you know, Hunt is a big loss and Bradley is a loss, obviously, that we've touched on. But do you think this team is just going to keep on trucking as far as offensively? Absolutely, because we have valuable replacements for the positions that we needed to fill. Um, you know, if you look at if you look at center, you know, Shane Vallow's coming back. Um, for for another big year, Cole Prudham was a senior last year that tore his ACL in training camp. Uh, he was given a medical red shirt, so he's back this year. Uh, Ken Marks, Max Mitchell, uh, Osiris Torrance is on the. Um, I don't remember the name of the watch. It's the watch list for the offensive lineman. The Remington. That's the center trophy. So if he plays center, then yeah. Um, he, he's on the watch list there. So, I mean, there's, there's plenty of, there's plenty of people stepping in that made an, made a slight impact last year that are just going to make an even bigger impact now that the position is theirs. Yeah. And, and, you know, kind of, like I said, I, I do expect this team to just continue with, with how successful it has been. Uh, offensively, you know, the last couple of years or so, because when you have a strong running game like you guys have, that's always something that teams have to account for. And then, you know, if Levi Lewis takes the next step, keeps improving through the air, I mean, you guys are going to have an offense to to definitely be reckoned with. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm looking at our program going into this year and thinking we're going to be better than last year. 
And and that's going to be, you know, a high bar to clear considering how efficient overall the offense was last year. You know, you you guys ran for what was it, 257 yards per game as a team, which is outstanding. Yeah, we were the number 6 rushing offense in the country last season. Yeah, absolutely. So, kind of moving to the defensive side of the ball, uh in in your opinion, were there any major losses either to the draft or graduation or anything, you know, along those lines that have you a little concern for the defense or do you think this defense is, is a unit that's going to continue to improve? You know, losing losing Jacques Boudreau was a uh, was a big loss just because of the leadership ability that that he brought to the locker room. Uh, you know, he had he had games with impressive stats, but his stats weren't the thing that that really really made him special. Um, you know, sometimes you just have a guy that that is just that kind of leader in the locker room that every team needs, and he was definitely that for us. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a huge loss for us. But you know, uh, Lorenzo McCaskill is a is a young guy. He's gonna be a junior this year. Uh, he's he's battled some off field issues, but I have a feel. I think he's cleaned all that up. Uh, he's a he's a true talent from Michigan. Farad Gardner is going to be a, our weak side linebacker, and then uh, you know Joe Dillon. He he's battled some injuries in his career, but man, his freshman season, he had six and a half sacks. He was first team all Sun Belt as a true freshman. Uh, I think he had five sacks this past year. Uh, so he's he's fully healthy and he's ready to roll. So from 2018 to last year, uh, Louisiana's defense improved from allowing 34 points a game uh, on defense in 2018 to just 19.7 points per game last year. You know, definitely, and an, you know, stri- definitely big strides being made on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, I guess, I guess, overall, wrapping up the defensive side of the ball, what are your expectations for how this defense is going to play, and do you expect them to kind of take the next step like they did from 2018 to last year? You know, I, I think they will, but it'll be interesting to see how quickly it happens. Because um, you know, we lost our defensive coordinator to the University of Baylor. He's now going to be the defensive coordinator at Baylor. Um. So we had to replace our defensive coordinator. We promoted our safeties coach, Patrick Tony, to the new defensive coordinator position. So I think that the defense will be run kind of similarly since he was on staff last year under Ron Roberts. But, you know, anytime you get a you get a new coach at, at a position like defensive coordinator, it's interesting to see how everything could possibly change. But, you know, I'll tell you this, Brian, I think I think if he if Tony runs the defense in a similar way that Ron Roberts did, we'll have no issues. We'll be fine. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I guess one final question for you here on the defensive defensive side of the ball, you guys return seven starters on that side of the ball with Tony, you know, being promoted to defensive coordinator. How big do you think that continuity is going to be for him uh, oh, coming in? I think it's going to be huge. Um, you know, it, this is his first time having a position like defensive coordinator. He's been a uh, he's been you know a, a safeties coach or a linebackers coach on numerous uh, staffs, including Southeastern Louisiana, uh, UTSA, just to name a few. So the the experience for him is there, but I, th- I think the continuity, like you said, 
having a bunch of familiar faces in just about every position, it's going to be crucial for our defense down the stretch next year. Absolutely. So offensively, keep keep things churning. Defensively, take another step and, uh, you know, definitely restricting these opposing teams to scoring points. So the problem is we usually take this time of the podcast to kind of get into the schedule. Uh, as of today, we are still unsure what the conference slate is going to be like, except for you guys are not going to play Missouri because SEC recently, uh, you know, put out a statement that they will be playing conference only games for the most part this year, if not exclusively. So looking at the conference slate as it currently stands, you guys play Georgia State, Georgia Southern app, Coastal, uh, Texas State. Arkansas State, South Alabama, and then you end with ULM again in that uh, rivalry game. What are your expectations looking at the schedule as it stands today within the conference? You know, if the Sun Belt does go the same route as many of these other conferences and go to a conference only slate, nine and zero. <laughs> last week nine you told me last you last week you just told me that App State's only losable game was to Georgia Southern and now you're nine and zero in the conference. Well, Brian, you know I, I quote one of my favorite movies, Draft Day, and Kevin Costner, where he said the world is a different place than it was however long ago. So I thought it was, gonna, I thought it was going to be enjoy your pancakes. <laughs> well, hey, I mean that too, but uh, yeah, no. Um, this team is is built for you know incredible things i'm telling fans constantly on the ul podcast that i make every week called rage and review i'm saying it constantly you know this is going to be the best team this school has ever seen yeah that's that's definitely high expectations (laughs) um if we if we play a full slate of games we are going to break almost every record in the book and I think that we could end up in the Cotton Bowl. Wow. So other than the immediate, you know, app sticking out on the schedule, are there any other conference teams that give you even a little bit of pause uh, as far as the slate stands today? Arkansas State, you know, for the reasons I mentioned earlier. And then, uh, you know, Georgia Southern kind of makes me nervous. I, I know that makes you feel good to hear. But, uh, man, you you guys just... You guys play football in such a unique way. And it's gotten it's gotten even weirder uh, since Willie Fritz swung through town, uh, you know, used to be the flex bone. And, and we'll touch on more more of this next week uh, when we kind of break into Georgia Southern's preview. But, yeah, it, it's almost become a more run heavy version of the Chip Kelly Oregon offense where everything is spread out. But the runs happen so often that, you know, you almost have to put guys in the box but then you have to respect the outside receivers that are standing out there as well so it is a unique challenge i will say yeah i I don't enjoy playing y'all for for that reason i mean i'm sure the coaches just lose sleep at night that week because i mean how do you prepare i i mean it's all and and this sounds this is very football nerd of me to say but it's all about like gap discipline and and you know making sure that you're filling your gaps and and then also setting the edge but uh yeah i mean we can we could definitely touch on that more again next week but it is interesting to see that you think georgia southern has you know a shot of of giving you guys a scare because last season i thought was out of these two meetings that have happened between 2019 and this season i thought last season was our best opportunity to kind of catch you guys because 
it was at Statesboro where we typically play better and historically, you know, have a better winning percentage and, and on the road, we really do struggle a good bit. So it is interesting to hear that, that you think that there's a shot that, that, you know, Georgia Southern could pull an upset or something this year. Yeah. I mean, again, like I said, it, it all comes down to just the way you guys play football and just the uniqueness and you called it weird, the weirdness of, of your game. Uh, you know, like, like I said, that's just a matchup nightmare. Yeah. So, you know, running down the schedule, I, I guess I'm going to ask kind of one final uh, schedule question here. ULM, does that game outside of, outside of any, uh, I guess, field goal post voodoo that you want to put on the Warhawks, does that, does that scare you at all? <sighs> I, I don't want to get conceited and egotistical, but no. <laughs> no it doesn't um be just because they're just i'm, I'm, I'm gonna say it they're weak yeah. they are a they are a weak football program um and from you know a a donor standpoint and a budget standpoint to me it doesn't seem like they want to get better it's it's tough because with you know a lot of these power five conferences going to uh, a conference only slate you know a lot of these teams that aren't buoyed by being good consistently in the sport of football are going to miss out on some of that revenue and someone said this you know ULM could be I, I read on Twitter today ULM could could almost be one of those teams where you know you don't know what kind of effect dropping a game like Georgia they were supposed to play Georgia and Arkansas this year well that was probably oh. over a million and a half at from least yeah in 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 from each of them and and dropping those two games you know what you almost have to ask like what effect does that have long term on that program because you know like you said if if they don't want to improve as a program, quote unquote, it, it's it's hard when you also don't have the revenue to kind of subsidize that. Right. And you know, we we've talked about it here in in the fan base at at UL. Uh, you know, looking at at them from a, from a monetary standpoint, it would almost make more sense for them to drop down to FCS. But you know, I don't want to get too political and and dive into that. But uh. Yeah, you know, you talk talking about losing out on on big money games. Our our Missouri game, we were supposed to get a payout of one point five. So I mean, yeah, that's just that's detrimental to a to a G five athletic budget. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, overall it is it is more detrimental. Uh, I think though, when you don't have the kind of success that the App States and the you know Lafayette or Louisiana rather have had uh, over the past few years, but yeah, I think it does hurt the the middle to bottom of the Sun Belt a lot because on top of not being very good and not getting these televised games and not going to these big bowl games, you're also not getting a payout from one of these big Power Five schools. You know, essentially beating you uh, and but paying you handsomely to to take that loss. So right, but you know, I, I want to say this in closing: November twenty first, we got we lost our game to Missouri. Um, I hear that Louisiana Tech had a game scratch from their schedule that weekend. So I don't know if there are any Tech fans that listen to our Underdog Dynasty podcast. I'm talking to you, Tanner Spearman. Spearman. Um, we need to play a football game against Louisiana Tech. Yeah, you know, with the 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 games that have all been dropped and how that is going to work, I've already seen 
you know, people making jokes from our fan base saying, you know, Georgia Tech should be on the horn with right. Georgia Southern immediately because it's a four hour drive. My, my thing is, my, put egos aside. Who is it hurting? Who loses? Well, the ego thing is hard to drop because the last time we played Georgia Tech, you know, I guess we're getting a little off base here, but the last time we played Georgia Tech, it was very close, much closer than they would wanted they wanted it to be. So that you know, an ego thing is is hard to kind of put aside when you're uh, a Power Five program, kind of trying to make a name for yourself. You don't want a G five school showing up and showing you up in the process. Right. But so. like, you know, it, it's funny, you know, b- before we go, you, you talked about Georgia tech with the ego thing, Louisiana tech's athletic director. There was a talk of conference realignment. And he said that Louisiana would be moving up a conference to join them in conference USA. But then preseason rankings come out. Louisiana's ranked 41st. And where is high and mighty Louisiana tech? 83rd. <laughs> 83rd well it's always been one of those weird things to me because obviously george southern's only been a member of the sunbelt since 2014 so i've only had six years to go back and look at it but i'm always confused as to how these group of five schools typically don't want to schedule other group of five schools from similar level conferences like for example i mean the closest we've gotten is we played Western Michigan twice and the, that's a Mac school and they were amazing when we played them. I mean, it was the PJ Fleck era. So, but I, outside of that, it's like, we've ne- I, as far as I can remember, we haven't played a conference USA school during our time in the con- in uh, Sunbelt and the Mac school, the, the only one that would play us was Western Michigan. So, I mean, yeah, the, I, the fact maybe slipping guys- my mind, but I don't know. The, the fact that you guys aren't playing schools like Florida International or UAB or, you know, maybe even Florida Atlantic just blows my mind. Well, we, we did get Florida Atlantic for a future home and home. Um, but, you know, it, it, it is weird. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially with everything going on right now that like proximity wise, two teams couldn't put their their differences and like you said earlier egos aside and, and kind of carve out some time to play one another so right so in closing this has been the uh preview of the 2020 uh louisiana raging cajun season as it currently stands right now uh next week we will get into my georgia southern eagles as we go back to the eastern side of the sunbelt conference uh matt do you have any closing thoughts and if you do also add where folks can find you on social media, you know, I'm just, as, as the season gets closer, you know, my, my excitement builds up because you know, that that's what, that's, that's what we do. Right. But, um, you know, with, with the uncertainty going on right now, you, you just, you, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, so everybody stay safe, do what your local and state government are asking you to do so that we can have a football season. Um, we all enjoy it. We all want it to happen, but it can't happen if we don't do our part. Um, so like I said, do, do what, what's asked of you and let's do our part to get a football season. You can find me at Twitter at Miguez Matt. And this has been Brian Stone, your host. You can find me on Twitter at watch the stone. Like I said, we will be back next week 
with the Georgia Southern Eagles. This has been the Sun Belt Podcast from underdogdynasty.com.